All right, friends, if, if you have your Bibles, let's do this. Go ahead and turn me, if you would, to the New Testament book of what? Hebrews. What chapter? 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This morning we are, of course, going to look at the life of another great hero of the faith. But friends, before we get into this morning's passage, there's something that I want to address that, that honestly, as a pastor, bothers me quite a bit. You see, something that bothers me as a pastor quite often is that there are so many people in the Christian church, especially teenagers who believe that God cannot use them. Friends, there are so many teenagers, I don't imagine maybe here today, who believe that God cannot use you because you're not old enough. You might believe that God cannot use you because you don't know enough. You might believe God cannot use you because you have not been saved long enough. Friends, I can't tell you how many conversations I have had this week with some of you. Conversations where you have said things like, well, Monty, the, the work of ministry and the, the work of evangelism, it is only those, is for those who are well-equipped. It is only for those who are experienced. Friends, let me listen. Let, let me read to you something. This is Matthew chapter 9. This is straight from the life of Jesus. Read this in Matthew 9, verse 35. We read that Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he, Jesus, saw the crowd, he felt compassion on them, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then listen to verse 37. Jesus looks to his 12 disciples and he says this to them. He says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the pastors are few. Friends, is that what Jesus says? No. Friends, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the youth leaders are few. Is that what he said? No, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the evangelists are few. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the theologians are few. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the super saved homeschool kids are few. Friends, is that what Jesus said? No, what did he say? He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Friends, what you and I have seen together over the past four days is that God tends to use ordinary people. In fact, friends, if you go and you search through the storyline of Scripture, what you find time and time again is that God is not looking for the most impressive people. God is not looking for the oldest people. He's not looking for the most educated people. Instead, friends, what you find as you search the Scriptures is that what God likes to do is He likes to take ordinary people. God likes to take ordinary people and use them for extraordinary things. Friends, God did this with the life of Abraham. He did it with Noah. He did it with Moses. He did it with Joseph. He did it with Rahab. God takes ordinary people, and he makes much of them. And friends, what we're going to see today is that God did the exact same thing in the life of a young teenage boy named David. Now, David, he, of course, is, is mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11, but he is really only mentioned briefly. Whereas other characters we've looked at in this study, they will be mentioned and then we'll learn a little bit of a little bit about them. When David is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, it's just almost in passing. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, the author of Hebrews. He says, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, about Barak, about Samson, about Jephthah, about David, Samuel 
Saul and all the prophets. Now, friends, David is, of course, a very well-known character in Scripture. In fact, David is probably the most beloved character in the Old Testament. Now, chances are, when you think of David, you likely remember him as a great king or, or as a mighty warrior, right? And he most definitely was. I mean, David, at times, he would, he would win wars. David, his, his enemies were afraid of him. David, he led his kingdom well. Oftentimes, friends, when we think about David, we remember him as being an incredibly, an incredibly impressive man. But let me ask you this, friends. Was David always that impressive? No. In fact, I love how David is first described to us in Scripture. All the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we get the very first description of King David. Now, you might remember this part of the story. You see Saul, he was the king of Israel for many years, but he had grown disobedient. And so God tells Samuel to go and that they were going to find a new king. And so Samuel goes to the house of a man named what? Anybody know? Jesse. To Jesse. He goes to Jesse's house. I imagine that he told Jesse what was going on and he was looking for the the future king of Israel. And so one by one, beginning with the oldest, Jesse brought out his sons. And he says, is this him? And Samuel said, no, dog, that ain't him. And then he would get the other son. He said, what about this guy? He's a little shorter. He's a ginger, but he still might work. Is this him? No. Friends, all together, Jesse would bring out seven sons and present them to Samuel. And each son he presented to Samuel, Samuel said, nah, dog, that ain't it. And so finally, Samuel asked this to Jesse. He says, are these really all the sons you have? And listen to what Jesse says. He says, well, <laughs> there is still the youngest. Well, there's the baby, my youngest boy. But right now he's tending to the sheep. And so Samuel told Jesse next verse, send for him. We are not going to sit down and eat until he gets there. Friends, in the next verse, in 1 Samuel 16, we get the very first description of the great King David. And I want you to listen to how David is described. 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. Jesse sent for David, and then here is David's description. Scripture says that David had beautiful eyes and was ruddy in appearance. Now, I'm curious, does anybody in this room this morning want to take a wild guess what the word ruddy means? Right there, what's it mean? Scrawny. Dang, shot through the heart. She says, he says, scrawny. Who else? What does ruddy mean? Beautiful. Beautiful. What else? Yeah, freckles, sure. What else? You can say it hot. Were you thinking hot? No. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. She wanted to say it. It's fine. Okay, so friends, there's a couple different... Thank you for your answers. There are a couple different ways that the, that the word ruddy can be translated. Now, oftentimes in your Bibles, it will say something along the lines of David was handsome or he was hearty. But friends, the Hebrew word that is closest to the word ruddy is actually the word red. R-E-D. And so the very first time David is described in Scripture, if you take the most literal interpretation, it's this. He had some nice-looking eyes, and he was kind of red-looking. Now, let me ask you, he's sunburned. He's a little white kid. No, 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 no. Let me ask you this. When, when the Bible says that David's red, what does it mean? Well, I actually think it's pretty simple. Have you ever seen, like, a little cute little kid with, like, chubby red cheeks? Right? That's David. Right, David, he had these cute little red cheeks. He, he may have been a bit chubby. Friends, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is not described as being very impressive. In fact, he was so unimpressive that when he would go out and face the mighty giant Goliath, what would a Goliath essentially do? He would laugh. 
He would mock David. Friends, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is ordinary. But do you know what God does in the next year of that ordinary little kid's life? Friends, God in the next year of his life would take David, the ordinary kid from the hick town of Bethlehem, and he would use David to win wars. He would use David to plunder kingdoms. He would use David to destroy kings. Friends, when you looked at David, there was nothing impressive about him. Now, I think this is probably why people love the story of David so much. Friends, people love the story of David because David's story reminds us that God loves to take ordinary people. God loves to take unimpressive people. God loves to take the ordinary and use it for the extraordinary. Friends, I wonder, do you remember the story when Jesus was feeding the 5,000? You remember that? Now, I told you yesterday that my siblings, my sisters, they called me Bubbles because I was fat. And so when I was a little kid, that was my favorite story in scripture. Right? I thought, oh my gosh, I serve the God who makes snacks. This is freaking awesome. Load me up with carbs, Jesus. Right? The story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's, it's pretty popular. It's pretty well known. Here's what happens in the story. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he had gotten so incredibly popular. He had gotten so incredibly popular that thousands of people, they begin to follow him. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Literally, he began to care for them. And so Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, hey, let's give them some dinner. Now, of course, Jesus and the 12, they didn't typically carry enough food to feed thousands of people. They didn't have a fully staffed kitchen like Heartland. And so dinner that night began to look a little bit grim. It didn't really seem like people were going to eat that evening. But then we read this. John chapter 6, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these to so many? Jesus responds in, in, in verse 10, and he says, Have the people sit down. And then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, literally praying a prayer, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, friends, when you preach through a passage like this, there's a, there's a lot that can be said, but this morning I want to focus in on the boy. This morning I want to focus in on the boy whose lunch Jesus used to feed thousands of people. Now, let me ask you this, friends. How much do we know about this boy? Very little. Do we know the boy's name? No. Do we know how old the boy was? No. Do we know where the boy came from? No. Friends, the only thing we know about this boy in John chapter 6 is what his mama packed him for lunch. Five barley loaves and what? Two fish. Now, barley loaves are unlike bread that most of you guys would probably eat today. Barley loaves, they were small. They were hard. Oftentimes, barley loaves were without flavor. I heard a pastor say one time that that barley loaves were the equivalent today of wonder bread that you left baking in the sun for four days. Right? Barley loaves were not very good. And the fish he had probably weren't that good either. You know, this young man, he wasn't walking around with fresh-caught salmon or fresh-caught trout. He didn't have some lobster. No, it's very likely that what this young man had was pickled sardines. So this was his lunch. Five stale pieces of bread and two pickled sardines. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Does that make you thankful for Heartland's food? Amen. Now, friends, you can actually learn a lot about a person based upon what they eat. For example, if you eat at Popeye's, 
I believe that you do not have taste buds and you do not like good chicken. Okay? I'm going to say it. But, 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 if you eat at Chick-fil-A, I know that you love the Lord and you are a child of God because that is God's chicken. All right? Friends, you can tell a lot about a person based upon what they eat. And so, friends, even though we're only told what the young man brought for lunch that day, that is all the information we could ever need. Friends, what this little boy's lunch tells us is that he was incredibly poor. You see, barley loaves and, and pickled fish, those were, the, those were the meal of a poor man. Now, we don't necessarily know this little boy's story. You know, we know that many sick people, those were typically the ones who followed Jesus. And so maybe his parents were sick and they couldn't work. Maybe that little boy had to try and work to provide for his own family. Maybe that boy himself was sick and he was abandoned by a family who could not take care of him. Friends, we know very little about this unnamed little boy in John chapter 6. But we do know this. We know that that little boy had very little to offer our Lord Jesus. But friends, here's the cool thing about God. Here is the cool thing about the Lord we serve. Our God is able to take the little we have to offer and make much of it. You know, in the 17th century, there was a missionary, famous missionary in India named William Carey. Now, William Carey served the, the rest of his adult life in India, and while in India, he did some phenomenal things. In India, he translated the Bible into nearly a dozen different languages and dialects. In India, William Carey founded dozens of different hospitals and different schools. Friends, it is believed that in India, William Carey led thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to Christ all on his own. Now, today, we refer to William Carey as the father of the modern-day mission movement. Today, we remember William Carey as a great missionary, as a great evangelist, as a great pastor, and a great teacher. And friends, he most definitely was. But oftentimes, what people forget is that William Carey had nothing more than a third-grade education. Friends, William Carey never went to college. William Carey never studied to be a pastor. William Carey was not articulate. Friends, by all means, William Carey was an ordinary man. He was an average Joe. I like what a pastor says about William Carey. The pastor's name is, is Timothy George. Timothy George says this. He says, William Carey was a lone little man. William Carey's resume would have read as follows. Education, minimal. Degrees, none. Savings, depleted. References, a group of country hick preachers halfway around the world. But then Timothy George asked this question. He says, what were Carrie's resources? He says his weapon was love. His desire was to bring the light of God into the darkness. His strategy was to proclaim by life, lips, and letters the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. Friends, if God can use an uneducated Englishman like William Carey to reach thousands of people in India. If God can use a little boy's sack lunch to feed thousands of people. If God can use a small, scrawny, freckled-faced little shepherd boy to kill a giant. Friends, what makes you think for a moment that God cannot use you? Friends, here's the reality. God can use you to reach your campuses. 
God can use you to reach your unbelieving friends and your unbelieving family members. God can use you even as teenagers to make an impact here in California and to the ends of the earth. Friends, I promise you, like that little boy, you come in faith and give God the little bit you have to offer. He will make much of it. Friends, you may be ordinary, but I promise that with you, God can do the extraordinary. Do not ever lose heart, friends. You know, I remember when I was in, in high school, I shared a little bit of my testimony on Sunday night, but I was saved when I was 16, and my salvation story is pretty wild. You see, I had grown up in a Christian home. I knew the Bible verses. I went to Awanas. I had, I had good church-going parents. I proclaimed that I knew Jesus, but in reality, I was far from him. And so my sophomore year of high school, my parents come to me and they said, hey, Monty, you're going to do something on, on, your, on, your, on spring break. And I said, what am I going to do on spring break? They're gonna, they said, you're going to go on a mission trip. And I thought, crap, I don't really want to go on a mission trip. And so I go on this mission trip, friends, and we went to this nasty little place called Indio, California. Anybody ever been to Indio? Right? This is how my dad sold it to me. I wasn't going to go. He goes, Monty, Indio is like Palm Springs. Indio is not like Palm Springs. My dad is a dirty little liar. But man, I remember we were walking through the, the streets of Indio, and I knew, I know all the Bible verses. I know everything about Jesus. I know about hell. And so I'm literally on this woman's porch. I knock on her door. She comes to the door, and I begin to share with her the gospel. I began to tell her about how much Jesus loved her and how she needed to repent of her sins. And if she did not repent of her sins, that she would spend eternity in hell. And friends, I kid you not, when I said that to that woman, this is what I thought. I thought, holy crap, I'm going to go to hell. I literally am trying to share the gospel with a lady, and I started to share it with myself. And so that night, we were staying in this nasty high school locker room, this like high school gym. And I'll never forget, I went in that bathroom, and I was so confused. And so I just fell on my face. And I remember I was, in, I was literally in the restroom. My hand freaking touched a puddle of urine. I was like, this is disgusting. But man, in that restroom, friends, I gave my heart and life to Jesus. But then I came home, and, and all I wanted to do was be used by God. But I didn't necessarily know how that was going to work. Man, I was so afraid. But then I decided, I'm just going to take one little step of faith. You see, my best friend, his name was Zach, and I knew that Zach was an unbeliever. And so I decided that I was going to do my best to evangelize Zach Boy. And so the day we got back from that mission trip, I met him in the, in the Stockdale High School parking lot. And I said, Zach, man, I really got to tell you about something. God changed my life this past week. Can I share it with you? And he said, sure. And then I did something really weird. I said, Zach, would you please get in the back of my Chevy Blazer? And so we got in the back of my car. We're sitting in there. I share the gospel with Zach. I said, Zach, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And you know what Zach said? He said, no. Now, at this point, I'm like a baby Christian. And so I got angry. And so I locked the doors and I said, Zach, you're not leaving the Chevy Blazer until you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord. Friends, we sat in the back of that truck for three hours talking about the things of God, talking about heaven, talking about scripture. And by the end of it, Zach says, you know what, man? I think I'm in. Friends, to this day, he is an obedient follower of Jesus, all because I was willing to give Jesus the little bit I had to offer. And from that, he made much. Friends, I encourage you. I encourage you to go back. Go back down this mountain and let God use you. Don't make excuses like Moses. Just give him the little bit you have. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for who you are. Lord, we thank you today for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that last night, man, God, you drew so many young people to yourself. Lord, I pray that every student here today would know that you can and you will use them. 
Lord, we thank you today that you are a God who takes the very little we have to offer and makes much of it. Lord, we pray as we go about the rest of our day that you keep us safe, but that, Lord, you alone would be glorified. We love you, Jesus. And all of Heartland Christian Camp said, Amen. Amen.